I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is a bonus episode of News Du Jour. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a special bonus episode of the News Du Jour. I'm missing you guys. I'm sure I'm recording this, of course, before I give birth, and I'm already missing doing the News Du Jour. So I just wanted to say I miss you guys because I know that that's what I'm feeling on the other side of this. Anywho, as you know, we are starting a special series. That's going to be based on the mission of our charitable component, which is Haven, where we will basically be discussing women's safety cases across the racial spectrum in proportion to how often women of each race face safety issues. And that means everything from stalking to domestic violence to missing and murdered cases. So it's really just going to run the gamut in terms of women's physical safety and emotional safety. I also want to make it clear that these numbers can be very difficult to process as these cases are just chronically underreported and Even if they are reported, they often don't make it into official databases for a variety of reasons. So we're doing our best to work off of the numbers available, although we can't deny it's kind of murky. So again, doing our best. And if you guys have good sources for numbers and statistics about women's safety, I'm always wanting to dive into that, and I know my assistant Olivia is great at helping crunch those numbers and look for good sources, so pass those along to us. All of our contact info is, of course, in the show notes. But according to the YWCA, out of 100 rape cases, only 12 of those will lead to arrests. Only nine people are then prosecuted and only five lead to a felony conviction. Five out of every 100. And these are just the cases that we know about. And the statistics are far worse when race becomes a factor. Every one in three girls is a victim of physical, verbal, or emotional abuse in the United States. One in four women will experience domestic violence, and more than three women are murdered by their partners every day in the United States. Three women murdered by their romantic partners in the United States. But like I said, these numbers do go up based on your ethnicity, and all of these different kind of abuse effects Um, They affect women's ability to show up for work, to focus at work, to be there for their friends and their children and their families, and to operate normally as a human being. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is 
everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much-needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com switch. That's mintmobile.com switch. But before we launch into our first MMIW case, I thought it was super important that we slow down and have an episode just to answer the questions, what is the MMIW movement, in case you've never heard of it? What makes the MMIW movement different? Why is it its own separate thing? And should it be? Well, first off, yes, it absolutely should be. And secondly, what makes it different really comes down to the law. If you listen to our bonus episode on McGirt, then you know you'll already be familiar with a lot of these um, sort of principles. And um, I think that would be a valuable listen after this episode if you're curious and want to learn more. You know, they really go hand in hand. But there are a number of laws in place that have been here for centuries, some for decades, that make it much easier to get away with violence against indigenous women versus women of any other race. And the fact that these laws protect criminals puts indigenous women much more at risk. According to Nonviolence International New York, over 5,500 indigenous women and girls are missing and murdered here in the U.S. and Canada each year. 5,500 missing and murdered. More than 84% of indigenous women will experience violence in their lifetime. 84%. And these numbers are grossly disproportionate to that of their white female counterparts. And cases where the victim is a woman of color tend, in general, to get much less media coverage and therefore get solved uh, a lot less. However, like we mentioned, there are actual laws in place that help perpetuate violence against indigenous women specifically. So I just want to walk through those laws and what exactly they are, what exactly they mean, and the effects that they have on the indigenous community. So let's go ahead and dive in. First off, we have to understand the double-edged sword of being quote-unquote sovereign. So native nations are not actually sovereign from a practical standpoint. The U.S. government wanted them to feel like they were back in the day. So they were given that title along with it rights to govern themselves and make their own laws for their own people. But at the end of the day, members of each sovereign nation are still bound by federal law. So when a crime is committed on native land, it gets a little murky as to what governing body is really responsible for the case. And there's a lot of conflict surrounding those technicalities. 
Our criminal justice system is inadequate to begin with. We could go long on that, couldn't we? But to imagine adding this layer of complication, you know, understanding that the nations are both sovereign and bound by federal law is important groundwork for understanding this issue of MMIW overall. Next up, the Major Crimes Act of 1885 stated that all violent crimes committed on tribal lands were to be prosecuted by the federal government. So this mandate also becomes very murky when factoring in like the whole McGirt decision. And if you guys don't know about that, again, we have a whole episode on that topic alone. But basically, it references a different treaty, which says that tribal land is tribal land and that natives can only be tried in native courts. (laughs) And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they ruled in favor of the native man and thus further confused this very gray area of the law because now it seems like these two uh, treaties, two laws, are really in conflict with one another and yet they both still exist. So it's really difficult to know, you know, where that line is. Then Public Law 280 of 1953 gave partial or total control to state governments who have tribal territories within their states. So this gave virtual control to the states over the tribal judicial and criminal systems. Again, this is in conflict with that original concept of sovereignty, which tribes are supposed to have. And it's also in conflict with the Major Crimes Act that we just talked about that said these matters would be managed by the federal government not state governments. So everything's just getting more and more murky as new laws are passed that conflict with these old treaties and old laws. Native people didn't have a right to vote in the United States of America until 1965 with the Voting Rights Act. And even then, it took a number of years past that to get a few more protections in place to really legally lock things in and ensure that Native peoples could vote. And I think that is so important that we understand that context because think about (laughs) taxation without representation, y'all. Think about how crazy it is that these people were bound by the laws of the federal government that whole time. Um, leading up to getting the right to vote as per the Major Crimes Act of 1885. Again, so they were bound by federal law as of 1885, but they couldn't vote until like the 70s. So that's about 200 years of being bound by laws that they had no voice in making, managing, or changing. So... Then came the Indian Civil Rights Act, quote unquote, that's the name of it, 1968. So this one was a doozy, and it proclaimed that Native courts could not try any non-Native person, and that they must hand that case over to the U.S. government to handle. (laughs) So much for sovereignty, right? And you can bet that in that shuffle, a lot of stuff goes missing or is misunderstood or is not believed 
etc. Just think about two different governing police bodies having to handle evidence and, you know, sort of he said, she said of it all. It's like a game of telephone only between law enforcement entities. This law also stated that indigenous courts cannot hand down more than over a year of jail time. (laughs) So the max they can do is a year of jail time for anything or a $5,000 fine to their own people. So much for sovereignty, right? That is no control uh, of what happens on their own land that's supposed to be sovereign. These laws make reservations absolute breeding grounds for crime at the hands of both non-natives and natives. Criminals know these laws, you guys. They understand that there's all these overlapping jurisdictions and they understand that things are going to get murky, evidence is going to get lost, and their chances of a lower sentence are much chances are much higher that they will get a lower sentence if they're committing a crime on a reservation. The average time handed down for a rape conviction here in the U.S. outside of reservations is 8 to 13 years. That's on average. So imagine a criminal realizing if he had committed the same crime on tribal lands, he'd get a year max There may have been minor updates to these laws over the years, but because of these pretty unexplainable restrictions, consequences on tribal land are just far less than they would be anywhere else in America. And that's what makes the MMIW crisis so different. Native women are simply trying to live their lives, and yet they're moving targets due to these crazy laws that never should have been in place at all in the first place. I thought it was vital that we go over the distinct differences for Native women as they're serious and they have grave consequences that have led us to the current MMIW crisis and now the MMIW movement. So I know that was a lot of very technical legal jargon, a lot of very specific laws to go over. And it's a little unclear to everyone how these different laws and treaties are meant to interact with each other. And what I want you guys to understand is it's not clear to anyone. And I think that's what makes the MMIW so MMIW crisis and movement so frustrating and so egregious is that It's just been ignored. All these laws that contradict one another have been ignored and their grave consequences have been ignored. Now, we won't just be covering cases involving missing and murdered indigenous women or just indigenous women in the series. But the context is really important to understanding the difference in these cases when something happens to uh, an indigenous woman versus a white woman versus a black woman versus a Hispanic woman. Um, there's just a different set of laws that apply to native and indigenous women that allow for criminals to really slip through the cracks at much higher rates. And there are grandmothers and children involved in this as well. It really runs the gamut of age when it comes to the MMIW crisis. Additionally, 
it is largely Native women who are leading this movement to locate their missing sisters and attempt against the odds to get genuine justice for their friends and family members. And it is about time that women of all races, not to mention men too, get up and get involved in this fight for simple safety. If you would like more information on the MMIW movement, I will go ahead and link some resources in our show notes, but that will include the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. So if you're someone who's directly affected by this, that will be there as well. I highly recommend listening to the McGirt episode as it kind of underscores some of the loopholes in the law that still exist and how these laws just simply don't make sense as they overlap and contradict one another. But what you can look forward to upcoming is that we will be diving into specific cases of MMIW um, so that we can draw attention to these specific women and hopefully help find them. That is a huge mission. And every case that we cover in this whole series, whether it's an indigenous woman or someone else, um, Every case will be a case that's in need of help and justice. It's not going to be a case that's already resolved neat and tidy. So there will always be a call to action at the end of every episode. I highly encourage you guys when when we cover these cases to look at this person's face so that we can try and find them um, and just always be on the lookout for these missing women. And without uh, further ado, I will sign off, but uh, be on the lookout for these new and up and coming episodes. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron of our podcast. For $7.99 a month, you can unlock tons of perks like breaking news text messages so that you're never out of the loop. Tons of bonus episodes are already up there ready for you to binge and a discussion board full of networking opportunities and much more. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash sugar-free media today to become a patron. This is the best way to support our show. Our patrons make news du jour possible. But a couple other ways to support our podcast are rate and review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen, share on your social media, you have influence, tell your friends, family, and colleagues that you love news du jour and why you listen. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram, just sugarfreemedia, all one word on TikTok, and sugarfree underscore media on Twitter. We also have a weekend newsletter called Dreamers Digest that's full of dreamy content recommendations for your weekend and a life update from yours truly. Sign up today on our website, www.sugarfreemedia.co. Our music is by Joey Lavoie and Nicholas Foster. Our cover art is by Hannah Pierce Photography. Our Sugar Free Media logo is by Katherine Jezik Designs. Any twinkling or little footsteps you might hear in the background are by my dog, Rhett. He's a rescue pup and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour.
Broadcasting from Oklahoma. Oklahoma.